My name is John McGowan and welcome to Discussions in Tunbridge Wells, psychology and mental health podcast produced by the Salomon Centre for Applied Psychology in Kent. Today we have something a little different from our ordinary panel discussion. Uh, one of the great pleasures of working here is that we have visits from a wide range of interesting thinkers in the fields of psychology and psychotherapy. Indeed, that was part of the reason for setting up this podcast, to capture some of the conversations that we have with those people. Last summer, we ran a training course with the Canadian psychologist Les Greenberg, the founder of Emotion Focused Therapy. If you're not aware of EFT, it's an approach aimed at individuals and couples that is, as the name says, very focused on emotions. If you're listening to this, of course, then you may be familiar with it. If not, it's a way of thinking where emotions are seen as the focus of change rather than, for example, thoughts being the focus of change. And Les was able to tell us a great deal more about this in a conversation with my colleague Anna Oldershaw. The other interviewer who interjects occasionally is Professor Tony Lavender, probably known to quite a few listeners, and was for many, who was for many years the head of our own clinical psychology training course. So without further ado, here is Les Greenberg. So I was wondering if you could start by just giving us a summary, a brief summary if you can, of what emotion-focused therapy is. Well, as the name implies, it's a therapy that focuses on emotion. And um, there are two main components. It really talks about the relationship and an empathically attuned relationship where you're really sensitive to people's feelings. And it's like I talk about it as having your finger on the emotional pulse of a client. So there's a real emphasis on empathy and emotional responsiveness. But then there are also particular kinds of emotional problems that are fairly universal, like self-criticism, unresolved feelings towards significant others, and other particular kind of problems. But we have a research-based way of working with these problems and working with the emotions in these problems to help people resolve these. And this combination is sort of an empathic relationship plus different uh, pieces of work on different things with, act, with specific interventions. So that's mainly what emotion focused is, is about. But the important thing is fundamentally we see motion, emotion as adaptive, but that emotions can become maladaptive. And we work with trying to change maladaptive emotions and a core principle is that the best way to change an emotion is with another emotion and that really painful emotions can't be changed by reason or by um, even by understanding but actually they need to be changed by new experience and so how did your interest in working with emotion begin and sort of how did it end up in EFT well, I actually started off as an engineer. I have a master's degree in engineering, and then I changed it into psychology. And I was following a track that had evolved for me in engineering, which is I believe that I knew more than I could say. I solved math problems in my final exam at, uh, in engineering, and I didn't know how I solved them. But I, sold, I didn't know how I chose a solution path, but I solved them. And they, uh, you know, nobody else solved these problems. And I figured that somehow I knew something 
that helped me to solve them, but I didn't know what that was. So I started believing in this idea of something called tacit knowledge, or that we know more than we can say. And then there were other things like that. People call it intuition or gut feeling. So I became interested in that, and eventually I decided to change to psychology and try to study this. I also had an emotional life as an engineer that most engineers didn't talk about. So somehow I felt my emotions were very important, but I was also a very rational person. And so I came into psychology with the idea to study emotion and study this intuitive or gut feeling. And I found that there wasn't very much, if anything, in academic psychology about emotion. And so I started a quest to sort of read and understand about emotion. And then I was a researcher of how people change, looking at the actual process of how people change. And I began to notice that when people got more emotionally involved, they tended to go deeper into their experience and that that led to more change. So then I really started to focus on and develop an emotion-focused approach. And so what was going on? You mentioned there that there, kind of, there wasn't much around in terms of emotion and research into emotion when you first started out. What was going on in the world of psychology at well, that point? Well, actually, when I came in, it was the time of the... I've forgotten what it was called even now, but it was the hippie time, right? <laughs> and um, there was a lot going on of get in touch with your feelings. There were encounter groups. There was a lot of humanistic psychotherapy going on, the touchy-feely kind of. uh, So that was going on, but in academic psychology, there was nothing about emotion. And in the applied area, there were lots of therapists who were sort of working with feelings, but they had no theory of what they were doing. Um, There was no theory of emotion. There was no research on the actual emotion. So there were examples of people working with emotion, but no real understanding or theory of why it was helpful to work with emotion or what was going on. Uh, It's important to be aware. It's important to be sensitive to people's feelings. Then there were things like primal scream. Uh, lie down and cry basically so it was quite wild but in that I saw a strand that when people worked with emotion or experienced and expressed emotion in particular ways it was very helpful and I started to try to understand it and do research on it. So it was sort of experimental without a theory? Yes, yes, just do and then it was undisciplined too mm-hmm. yeah, it was try this and mm-hmm. It's good to have people experience and be real. But they didn't have a theory mm-hmm. of how this process really worked. So there was helpful things and damaging things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So people had a sense that emotion, working with that was important, but just conceptualising how to do that using theory and Right, sort of and they also didn't say it was working with emotion. Okay. It was more like be real, be authentic. Okay. And... There definitely was experience, don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. But it was experience, it wasn't so much emotion even. Mm-hmm. But then, around 1984, the cognitive revolution began. 
and that had the effect of wiping out a lot of the humanistic um, therapy. A lot of the humanists believed you couldn't study scientifically the complexity of the human soul, mm -hmm. and they were left the universities. And I, my, I had a supervisor who stayed in university, and she was a researcher, and I was her student, and then I became a, what's called a process researcher, looking at the process in therapy. And so we were almost a bastion of research in humanistic therapy. But we started to really try to study and understand where all the other humanists said positivist research methods were inappropriate to human science and basically gave up trying to do research. Um, and, but I sort of stuck with research. And some of that came from my engineering side of my brain, I think. Mm -hmm. And your sense that this was really important, that mm -hmm. we needed to understand more about it. But also not to engage in traditional research, but to truly engage in observation of phenomena. That's what came, I think, from engineering. Right. is really look at what's happening and try to model and understand what the process is. Yeah. How much were you influenced by Carl Rogers? Because he was developing a kind of a more experimental or more research. Yes. So my supervisor, Laura Rice, was a student of Carl Rogers. But then Rogers left the university along with other people. But Laura Rice carried on. So I'm a direct descendant of... Carl Rogers research. I mean, he started research in psychotherapy and research on the process. And that's the sort of line in which, uh, from which I come. But I also trained then as a Gestalt therapist, which was not researched at all, but I did a full training and I was integrating client-centered and gestalt therapy with mm -hmm. an emotion theory. Mm -hmm. I also had a very uh, strong influence from a student of Piaget's. His name was Pasquale Leone, and he was studying child development, but the sort of, he had a sophisticated, I'm avoiding using the word cognitive, but a, a sophisticated sort of understanding of cognitive development. Mm -hmm. And so I learned his theory of mind and a, the notion of schemes and used that mm. as part of the theoretical understanding. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting the sense from what you're saying that emotion in psychotherapy has come a, a long way. There's been a kind of a lot of research around it and it's sort of developed a lot. Um, and I was interested, um, you were saying the other day, you know, people often say to you, well, isn't all therapy about emotion? And you say, well, no, actually, it's not. And that seems a surprise to the layperson. And yet in psychology, there are these very different kind of schools, schools of thought. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, lay people say, isn't all therapy about emotion? And I say, unfortunately not, right? <laughs> the theories are about motivation, cognition, behavior, interaction, but not directly about emotion. And it's always a shock to them. So... <laughs> There was a real sea change in around the 90s, and I'm going to tell you a funny kind of anecdote. I was in Spain, and I saw a big ad with some woman in jeans, you know, in a typical sort of sexist ad, and she was in these tight blue jeans, and there was just one word on the ad, and it said emotion. Advertising 
in the States, Madison Avenue, finally started saying emotion is what drives people. They were getting that. They were picking that up from a change in the general zeitgeist that people started seeing emotion as important. And then it's, you see it, all, it proliferates now in the sort of advertising and, you know, emojis mm -hmm. and it's, and then these films now like Inside Out. So emotion began to come to the fore again right? mm -hmm. uh, in the popular culture. But in academia, emotion had been relegated and that was mainly because if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. I mean, that's a piece of it, right? Mm -hmm. So it just wasn't there, and the therapies weren't about emotion uh, in their theoretical formulations or in what they were doing. They weren't really working on emotion. And so, I mean, where are we at now in terms of that, in terms of kind of working with emotion? And Now everybody insists that they're working on emotion, <laughs> but in my terms, they aren't. Okay. Psychodynamic people say we've worked on emotion forever and they do talk a lot about emotion mm -hmm. but they don't actually work with a visceral experience of emotion with people. Cognitive behaviorists say, and I've been on panels and everybody's insistent, we work on emotion but everybody works in a very different way. So cognitive behaviorists work on down-regulating emotion and they see it as a dysregulating force predominantly right? and they don't have a base theory of emotion there's still the idea that cognition produces emotion uh, and so you work on cognition or you work on behavior but you don't actually work on emotion very much so you're but, working with emotion indirectly via the other yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, exposure therapists do expose you to emotion. They do work to some degree. But now, emotion is the new hot word. I mean, since there were neurological demonstrations that emotion sort of really exists and emotional processes are real and they can be uh, observed to some degree in the brain, Everybody's into saying emotion awareness is important, emotion is important, but they still don't have articulated theories of emotion and how to work with them. But it is definitely a hot topic now. And emotional intelligence. Yes, I mean, that, that was very uh, influential. You know, and that, that's it, emotional intelligence. That came out in 95. I saw this ad of emotion in 99. But, I mean, business took on that emotion was important. And that really changed the sort of zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, it's interesting you're saying about how, you know, working with emotion is a new thing. And I have noticed some other therapies picking up some of the techniques that we see in EFT, for example, the two-chair work you know, compassion-focused therapy or schema therapy, and I was wondering, what do you see as the similarities or differences of the way that they might use it versus how it's used in EFT, if you... If yeah, you I mean, generally, that. there are some differences because of the theoretical base, but um, they come, like those that you mentioned, they come out of a cognitive theory base, mm -hmm. so they still don't have a coherent emotion theory, they still are more modificational. Mm -hmm. They, 
schema focused therapy is more uh, directive to try to get you to change compassion focused therapy just focuses on compassion as its main thing and it has a motivational theory so there's all this complexity there's going to be a conference next year called the emotion revolution conference okay. in norway and there's six different groups who six different psychotherapeutic approaches including compassion focused therapy and act and emotion focused therapy and some dynamic therapies so we're trying to create a debate between the different approaches because they all give some significant role to emotion mm-hmm. um but they are different and there we've done research on a number of methods i don't like to call them techniques but techniques or methods and other therapies are using these techniques but then they assimilate them into their own theoretical frame and they use them in a different way so it's not exactly the same thing yeah and we have a really strong emphasis on the relationship the therapeutic relationship and on what i like to call empathic attunement to affect right the sensitive perception of what's going on emotionally for the person yeah and i think that's one of the things i really like about eft in terms of it's the the following and the guiding it's not one or the other which yeah. other approaches seem to be much more it's about it's about the yes. two things yes. which has always been my dilemma i think as a therapist up until i found eft is like you know to what extent do i do each and what does that look like yeah um, yeah yeah so. i mean one of the therapies that's really taken hold in the UK and I'm not sure if this is true in Canada or the States particularly is mindfulness right and that has got a sort of yes it swept the world it, yes, right yes. right <laughs> um it's got a long tradition as I know but I wonder if you could say something about the relationship with mindfulness and yeah work um there's a element of compatibility but um a I don't think mindfulness as a technique is that useful but it's been taken over by cognitive therapy as a mindfulness based cognitive therapy and you know I think if you live a life of mindful reflection and mindful meditation or if you're a a, a Buddhist monk and you live by mindfulness it's probably a very helpful process uh but it's different to what we're proposing and i see it as essentially a coping skill the way it's being used mm-hmm. in the west it's like relaxation training yeah. it's a way to just sort of calm yourself but it doesn't go to the root cause so the notion of mindfulness is to observe your emotion and let it come and go so it's like sitting on the bank of a river and watching the water go by and it'll just pass you by and go away but EFT talks about jumping into the river the actual stream of experience mm-hmm. experiencing what you have not experienced and transforming it mm-hmm. so i think it is different but the attitude of mindfulness of watchful waiting so to speak you know watching what comes up and accepting it is the same mm-hmm. but then eft has a whole component of and then transform what go into it rather than just let it pass mm-hmm. and then transform it mm-hmm. 
So like you were saying earlier, just accepting it isn't enough. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas up until now, predominantly all the approaches, if you look at their pre-assumptive uh, um, hypotheses, it's like accept emotion and then you'll get over it. But ours is you've got to arrive at a place before you can leave it. So you do need to get there. You have to feel it to heal it. Mm -hmm. But just feeling it won't alone heal it. Mm -hmm. And when you get to painful uh, feelings, you need to bring in a new experience that will change the old experience. So to put it in a very sort of um, fundamental way or a very basic way, it's not very real, but... The idea was if you're afraid, if you fall off a horse and you're afraid, a sort of behavioral notion is get back up on the horse and you'll get desensitized. Well, my view is get back up on the horse and if you feel fear again, you aren't going to desensitize. You've got to get back up on the horse and feel a new emotion like joy or pride. And if you feel a new emotion, the new emotion is going to change the old emotion. So you really have to feel a new emotion in order Mm -hmm. to help that undo the old emotion. It's not just that you feel the fear and the fear will go away. You might get on the horse and fall off again. Yes, yes. (laughs) Or feel, exactly, or feel really afraid while Mm -hmm. you're on the horse. Mm -hmm. And not just... Competent behave, competence behavior will. Uh, it's not the, the the staying up on the horse. It's that when you stay up on the horse, you feel mm-hmm. you start generating a new feeling, and that's what changes the old feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been speaking about how emotions are adaptive. You know, we're all emotional beings, and. Obviously, then, so your ideas can speak to all of us, you know, whether we're in emotional distress or not, whether, yes. you know, we're experiencing what might be termed mental health difficulties or not. And I just wondered if you could say a little bit about that, about the role of emotion in adaptive human functioning. Well, firstly, I mean, it comes from evolutionary sources that our fear protected us, uh, our anger protected us, our sadness led us to seek comfort. So emotions are basically adaptive and help us. They orient us to the world and so on. But, I mean, talking about it at a more colloquial level, I mean, emotions are what give color and meaning to life. And actually, they are a basic meaning system. That's what's been the change in view about emotions. They're not in contrast to reason or to meaning. They're actually a meaning system Mm -hmm. and they evaluate things, whether they're good for me or bad for me. So they're very fundamental in our living. And if we if we didn't have emotions, we wouldn't attach. So if you follow science fiction in Star Trek, Spock and Data, they don't have emotions, they don't have good relationships. Mm -hmm. So emotions are at the base of our relational life. Give us information about the world and about other people. Yeah, and they give us information about our reaction to situations. Mm -hmm. They're very rapid, quick responses. And then I need to pay attention to them because they're telling me how I'm reacting. Mm Uh, to situations and they happen so rapidly before I think and they organize me already to respond so 
um, we need to pay attention to them because they're actually, Vincent van Gogh wrote, the little emotions are the captains of our lives, right? Even though we don't know that. So I think that's true. We have all these emotions all the time. We're an ongoing, you know, moment by moment, having emotional reactions all the time. And if we don't pay attention to them or we try to suppress them, they've influenced us already. Mm -hmm. So I'll be afraid and want to pull back, but I'll ignore that or not know that. And then I'm a divided self in a sense. There's a process going on in me, but I'm doing the opposite. And eventually that's highly stressful to the whole organism. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that then. So they're useful if we listen to them and we use them to guide us and to give us information and to listen to what they're telling us to do. You know, you talk about emotions being action tendencies, so they're giving us information about what we might need to do next. Right. Um, and if we ignore that, then we run into problems. Yes. Um, so would you say a little bit more about what those kind of problems might look like or how they build? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is in marital or couple relationships. I mm -hmm. mean, if I ignore that your left eyebrow is raised <laughs> and uh, that you're you know, slightly tense, I'm ignoring a whole lot of emotional information that you're sending to me, right? Mm -hmm. If I ignore the fact that I'm feeling resentful, it just builds, I, my, it, that resentment influences our relationship. And the more I ignore it, if I ignore that I'm sad and feel lonely and I don't really deal with it with you, then it's going to affect our relationship quite negatively. Um, if I ignore in more individual kind of contexts, if I ignore my emotions, I become a disintegrated kind of uh, person. And often people who are depressed are blocking their own grief they're blocking their own legitimate feelings of oppression or anger and helping them access those helps them be less depressed or less anxious. Why, why might they be blocking those? What kind of processes might be going on there? A general idea is that emotions are painful and we avoid emotional pain and that that's the cause of a lot of dysfunction. And I've come to sort of believe where I didn't before because it seems very simple to say that a lot of dysfunction is caused by avoidance of emotion. But we've recently written a book and I've been thinking about it. I don't think we avoid the emotion because it's painful, mm -hmm. because it's like, ow, it hurts. I think we avoid the emotion because we're afraid the emotion will overwhelm us and we will not be able to cope. Mm -hmm. So we're all trying to cope. And we, because we don't have good ways of dealing with emotion, uh, and we haven't been trained as children and into our lives, and especially men, the idea is control emotion. Because mm -hmm. right? uh, we're afraid the emotion will overwhelm us and we won't cope. So. We're avoiding the emotion, not because it's ow, or it hurts, but because we're afraid it'll overwhelm us and we won't cope, and we're struggling to cope. Um, so there's, a f there's definitely a fear of emotion. 
And then it depends what the fear is of, but there's a fear of emotion. And then we have to ask, why is there a fear of emotion? The emotions originally were called passions, and that's because we're passive in relation to our... Emotions happen to us. Our sadness comes unbidden. I don't make myself sad. It happens. I get angry. So we're always passive in relation to our emotions. And in the Western world, we want to be in control. Mm -hmm. So we don't like things happening to us, so we start trying to control them. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the emotions can be intense, but if we had an attitude, and this is where mindfulness is somewhat helpful, the, the Eastern traditions are more acceptance, of what happening to us and the ability to tolerate it. So it's because they overwhelm us and we, they partly overwhelm us because we try to not have them and then we don't know how to cope with them. And that's a very real process. Mm-hmm. Right? People who get anxious, the anxiety or the fear, uh, they clamp down on it mm-hmm. and then they get more and more anxious because they can't quite control themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a paradox. The more you, more you don't want to feel it, the more you feel it. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Mm. Although at least the more anxious you get about feeling it, mm-hmm. and then your anxiety goes up. Okay. So the big thing is, you know, we talk about emotion, but the, the key of what we're talking about is you have to make distinctions between primary emotions, the very first feeling, secondary emotions, which are feelings in reaction to feelings, mm-hmm. right? And so... Often when people are talking about feelings, they're referring to different things. And uh, we're talking about primary emotions are often adaptive, but secondary emotions are often symptomatic. So I get anxious about my anger, or I feel guilty about my anger, or I feel ashamed of my fear. And the most well-known by everybody is often when I feel hurt I get angry. Mm -hmm. My anger is secondary. It's Mm -hmm. not, we're not talking about having more of those feelings and those are adaptive. My primary feeling is that I feel hurt Mm -hmm. and that's giving me information that somehow one of my needs isn't being met. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about primary emotion is adaptive and working with primary emotion but many other approaches of talking about secondary emotions mm-hmm. and how to get rid of them. Yeah, so like anger management, for example. Like, an- yeah. I mean, that's one of the best examples. Anger management is we train you to how to not be angry. In EFT, we say, what's producing the anger? Mm-hmm. And usually, particularly in men, it's underlying shame or humiliation or feeling uh, powerless. Um, so we want to work towards that shame mm-hmm. and then work with where does that shame come from in your life history and then how to begin working and helping you transform that feeling of shame. Yeah, so, so we're thinking about emotions as, as adaptive and give us information about the world. If you stayed at the level of anger, that would be giving you the wrong information about yes. what's actually going on in that situation and what you need to do in your relationship right, or right, whatever right, it might be. Right, and then adaptive emotions give you good information, but mm-hmm. maladaptive emotions, which have come from um, traumatic learning and history, don't give you good information. So that's the complexity. So we go to your underlying shame. Your shame is saying, 
I feel humiliated, I feel no good. But maybe you haven't actually diminished me or insulted me. Maybe I was so humiliated and insulted by my father or in my life history that whenever you do anything, it evokes this feeling that I'm being wronged or humiliated, but actually it isn't happening. Mm -hmm. And that leads people into trouble. So then we've got to go to that shame and help change that shame. You say, uh, when you were talking about primary and secondary emotion, it reminded me of an experiment because I was at university in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, it was with a chap called Mark Cook who did a lot of work on facial expression. Yes. And, um, the beginning of the experiment was trying to get students to capture their facial expressions in different things. So this means meant stimulating people's facial expressions. Yes. And one of the chaps in the students said, did uh, promoted anger by creeping up behind a student and pulling on the back of their hair really hard. Oh, yes. So that hurt. It really hurt. And I found myself hitting him. <laughs> being the anger, being the secondary emotion. Yes, yes. <laughs> And You're saying really it hurt. That's it really, the really right. Hurt. And, and then you then you hit, and the poor lad got hit several times <laughs> in this experiment. You get quite a lot of angry faces. Yes, yeah, yeah that's really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, there, I mean, anger is a response to violation. Although that's aggression, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the hitting, yeah, yeah. right? And then that's a more complex thing it than is, anger, yeah. right? Right. Um, you've mentioned a little bit about cultural influences, um, differences in the West and the East, and I was thinking, you know, we're in the UK at the moment, yes, yes. and we have a bit of a reputation for being emotionally repressed. And yes. um, someone was saying earlier, no emotion, please, we're British. You know, we can't, we can't <laughs> yes. talk about this. And Tunbridge Wells is the most British of British. Of British, I see. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm pleased. So we brought it to the end. famous expression, they when they say, oh, it's disgusted of Tunbridge Wells, which means the most conservative, stiff upper lip person in the UK. I see, <laughs> right. And I just wondered, you know, what your thoughts are on that. I mean, do you notice a difference, a subtle differences there, or is it, you know, sort of more of a... Well, I mean, A, I'm, cult- I'm influenced, so I think of the British stiff upper lip, you know, and that's mm-hmm. my sort of idea that that's how it is. Um... I do think there is that uh, quality, mm-hmm. and um, I haven't had that much experience. But, for example, emotion-focused therapy has not exactly uh, been taken up here, mm-hmm. and there does tend to be a stiff upper lip kind of quality. And what has always struck me was this word whinging. Because it wasn't a word in my vocabulary, and I didn't know, but it's like, stop whinging and don't moan. And there's a lot of sort of derisiveness mm-hmm. of weakness, and also, um, but you know, my understanding a little bit, I don't know if that's true, is because of the war, mm-hmm. there actually had to be a stiff upper lip yeah. and yeah. just get on with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it really hurts, but we can't focus on that. We've just got to function and rebuild. Mm-hmm. 
But I mean, there's more than that because it existed before. Mm. So there are cultural differences. Like I went to Norway and the Norwegians said, you know, we, we can't, uh, we won't be able to succeed with this soft kind of empathy. Norwegians are tough. And, but, oh, the, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't true. I mean, mm. once we started working there, people... So I think all over the world, people are pretty much alike. Mm -hmm. And all human beings feel vulnerable. And they have a hard time dealing with their vulnerability. But then different cultures have different rules of expression of what's acceptable. Mm -hmm. But if we get under the rules of expression, we're pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are cultural rules of mm -hmm. what's acceptable. And I think here, to show weakness is not as acceptable mm -hmm. as in other cultures. And generally, even maybe to show excitement yeah. is yeah. not as kind of common as mm -hmm. in, say, a Latino culture. Mm -hmm. And emotions are equated with weakness in a way that they might yes. not be elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, they are pretty much everywhere, oh, but okay. more so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, and in some other more reserved cultures, right? Mm -hmm. I think Sweden is more English than English. <laughs> um, so, so does it, I'm wondering if I'm reading too much into this, but are the, do you think that there's a difference then perhaps in the secondary emotions that are presented, but the underlying kind of core primary emotions would be the same across... Well, I'm saying certainly the, the primary emotions are the same. No, mm -hmm. I'm saying that the degree of inhibition of okay. emotion is different. Is different? Right. Um, As opposed to what that looks like when, yeah, you, when you yeah, do see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, probably more cultural things about praising people and mm -hmm. rewarding people yes. and saying you've done that really well. It's, it's, it's can, can be thought of as... Overly praising somebody, yes, making getting too hard. Get right, 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 yeah. and also, I mean, the big difference because I come from South Africa, mm -hmm. which was more British mm -hmm. in my upbringing, and then going to the States, the expression of personal pride. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the States, people boast. Yeah. And they celebrate themselves and, you know, all the athletes and so on. And in Brit that, and I still had the reaction, oh, that's yes, like mm -hmm. disgusting, you know, <laughs> that's horrifying. So, I mean, there's an interesting cultural mm -hmm. rule of expression and our attitudes towards emotion. But it's even stronger in China. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I have narratives from Chinese people of like, if you win a race... When you're a kid, if you jump up and down and say, I won, you get really scolded, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, that's understandable. But if you go home mm -hmm. and you express pride and you say, I won, the parents say, scold that. I mean, you're not hurting anybody else by jumping up and down at home feeling pleased. But it's still scolded, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't show any personal aggrandized emotion, right? Mm -hmm. So there are these different rules. Mm -hmm. And as somebody sort of doing emotion focused therapy, you need both the client coming, wanting to talk about emotion, but also the therapist being willing to go there. And of course, cultural influences affect both 
sides of that. Yes, yes. Cultural influences and even more strongly theoretical influences. And in the last era of the cognitive revolution, there's been a basically fear of emotion in therapists, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. They've been inculcated. Yeah, and somebody was talking earlier about you know being scared to kind of go there or to put things out there. And I did um, some focus groups with people, and I asked um, a lady with anorexia, "What is it that you need from your therapist?" And she said, "I want them to be brave. I want them to be brave and to to put it out there even when I can't." Oh right, right. Um, to take these was, risks that yeah, therapists are risks. afraid yeah. to take. Because I can't, I can't direct it in that way. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I thought that was interesting. One of the other things that I was sort of thinking about is that the world's changed a lot since you first developed emotion-focused therapy and also just thinking about emotions as an adaptive function, you know, and we sort of evolved to have them and yet the world's very different now and it's changed very quickly. Um, and I was thinking about how much we're exposed to emotion now um, in terms of the media, how much you see on telly, sort of distressing stories, you hear people talking about the things that they've been through in, in sort of very evocative terms and the media really does amplify that. And sometimes I feel like I just can't, I just can't take any more of this in. And like, did we evolve for this level of emotional bombardment all the time? Hmm. Um, and... Yeah, I was just interested as to, you know, what, what are the implications of that? It's an interesting question. I mean, you're saying we're overstimulated with actually um, negative emotional experiences. I mean, we see so much mm-hmm. more. Whereas, and is it too much for us? Are we really... Because did our emotions systems kind of evolve to manage our own emotions and those of the people close to us? But now, actually, that's quite a different world we live in. I'm left speechless. (laughs) I think it means that we more distance ourselves from emotions. Yes, Uh, the way of managing it is to that degree. Because, so it makes us less able to manage them, not more. Yeah, and we cut off. Yeah, I mean, the same thing as seeing all this violence on TV Mm -hmm. and in movies, then we just sort of distance and so... um, there's a kind of mismatch you're mm-hmm. saying with what our emotions are evolutionarily designed to do and what's happening with in the multimedia kind of thing mm-hmm. so that we cope with it by sort of uh, desensitizing mm-hmm. to all of this and that's yeah. not a good thing so that adds to the sort of emotion uh, suppression or emotion mm-hmm. blocking of, of emotions yeah. because we there's just too much to handle yeah yeah, I have kind of a, a love-hate relationship with that, I suppose. It's like there's something quite addictive about it, about hearing these stories and, you know, you kind of get pulled in, yes. but then, you know, it, uh, and then I just switch it off. I just draw a boundary yes. and I'm like, I can't, I can't watch the news, I can't, you know. it's Yes, yes. It's a yeah. difficult thing to manage, I find, personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But essentially we're not designed to have to deal with, our emotion system didn't mm-hmm. evolve to deal with this all this overstimulation kind mm-hmm. of thing, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so thinking, that, I mean, you know, that there's other things that have changed as well, like in the time, you know, and thinking about social media as well and, and Facebook and instant gratification. And I, I suppose it left me wondering, I mean, we've sort of answered it a little bit, but what is it that we need to be more aware of perhaps as a result of all of this? Um, how do we manage all of yeah. these things? Well, firstly, I mean, I think, you know, the smartphones and all this 
it's all taking us away from being aware of our feelings and mm -hmm. sort of from having our experience. So we're overstimulated. Our attention is being drawn outwards rather than inwards. I mean, this is why probably meditation is a, an, uh, an antidote to external stimulation to sort of pay attention to what's going within. But I think we have to protect against being so out there that we become sort of one-dimensional mm -hmm. rather than having the depth that we have. I mean, we're very complex and our feelings are an important part of that complexity that we have multiple thoughts and feelings about everything and multiple layers. But by distancing and by being overstimulated, mm -hmm. it all ends up in us not really paying attention to what it is we're feeling. Mm -hmm. So we miss good information about what we need yes, and what's going yes. on in our life. And it's sort of like the emotional signals which come through the body are weak signals and the stimuli from outside override mm -hmm. and then we're just drawn to outside mm -hmm. and then we don't pay attention to what's uh, happening inside of us. But our bodies are still reacting to everything, but we don't pay attention mm -hmm. to what our bodies are really telling us. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there is a, a, a struggle going on there. Mm -hmm. That's why people like to go away to the lake, to the seaside, to the forest, mm -hmm. because you remove yourself and you actually pay more attention to being in yourself yeah. And it's so refreshing to do that. Yes, you know, that yeah, it's invigorating. Lot, it? yeah, yeah, about, yeah, about connecting with yourself. Okay, I was just wondering, as we kind of come to the end, if you could break things down into a kind of a, a take-home message. What is it that you think we all need to know about our emotions, or that we should we should take away with us? Well, I think we need to know that emotions are give us important information and we need to pay attention to them, and that they're a real source of, you can call it intelligence, and that we have two intelligence systems. We have a, a, a logical reasoning system, which we've really privileged in the West, mm -hmm. but we have another intelligence system, and that's our emotion system, and it tells me important things, and I ignore it at my peril. If I don't pay attention to my emotions, eventually I'm going to not have as healthy a system mm -hmm. as if I really pay attention to my emotions, listen to what it's telling, what they're telling me, and then learn how to use what they're telling me. It's not just I should run around and express everything. Mm -hmm. um, I've got to learn to be an intelligent user of my emotions and listen to which ones are giving me good information and I should act on them, mm -hmm. which emotions are part from my history, they have more reactions to the past than to the present and I shouldn't just act on them. Mm -hmm. And what are my real primary emotions, not just, oh, I'm feeling angry, therefore you've wronged me. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe my anger is, is masking that underneath I feel hurt, and that that's really the more important thing. I mean, we yell at the ones we love, usually because we're feeling sad or humiliated, mm -hmm. and the yelling just runs amok, right? Mm -hmm. 
they're so the ones we, who hurt us the most, so they're the ones that we yeah, get angry with the most. Yeah. So the real issue is pay attention to your emotion mm-hmm. and use it intelligently. Mm-hmm. Reflect on it. And yeah, react. reflect on it. Not just react on it automatically, mm-hmm. but some are giving good information and they're good to react, but others not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much, Les. That's been Thank really you. interesting. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So that was Les Greenberg. We're very grateful to him for taking the time out for that interview. He was in a really tight schedule that week. However, I'm happy to say that Les is coming back to run some further courses with us in the summer. And you can find details of those on the show page in our blog. That's blogs.canterbury.ac.uk forward slash discursive. You'll also be able to find some helpful references if you want to find out more about EFT and how emotion is understood within it. The best way to follow the podcast is to subscribe. You can do that on iTunes or SoundCloud or really wherever you get your podcasts by searching for discussions in Tunbridge Wells. We'll also post all pod- we also post all podcasts on our blog. As well as that, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The next show is going to be, it's not quite clear yet, but it's going to be some kind of Christmas special to record in mid-December. And it's going to involve some social media interaction with our vast audience so please keep an eye on our feeds for more of that in the next week or so all that remains for me to do is to thank les again and also you for listening thank you 